invite you, if you will, to open a Bible with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians. If you can find Ephesians in your Bibles, you will be ready to follow along with us this evening. While you're turning back there, let me echo the welcome. Thank you very much for being here, especially those of you who are guests like me this week. It is good to see so many familiar faces that mean so much to me and my family. Thank you for being here. You're an encouragement to me just by being here. I hope that you've had a good day, and there is no better way to draw our day to a close than by singing together, praying together, opening up God's Word, and and studying together. We mentioned yesterday, we introduced this idea, our focal point really for the week, this beautiful phrase that comes from one of the hymns that we sing, I am his and he is mine. And talking with your shepherds in, in recent months, Brian in particular, uh, it, it was very clear that they have a heart for you and your spiritual well-being and, and especially where to go from here after a difficult couple of years. And so the, the request that was given to me, and of course I'm very, very, very happy to do my best to meet that request, was to talk about discipleship, to talk about what it means to be a disciple and our obligations as disciples, our privileges as disciples, what our, our mission is, what the goal of discipleship really is, and, and how to live as a disciple in the 21st century. And so yesterday, we just focused on the one we're being called to follow. We talked in our, our Bible class period about developing a personal connection to Jesus like branches of the vine and we looked at the glorified son of God from Revelation chapter 1 to to get clearly in our minds that if we follow him there isn't anyone more powerful or more wise that we could possibly follow and what a privilege to be able to say I'm with him and I don't know what the future holds. I, I don't know how everything is going to turn out in various situations and scenarios here in this world. But I know the most powerful being in the universe. And last evening, we just spent some time particularly thinking in, in, in terms of what, what's it going to mean to have a relationship with him, especially when... God brings to pass his, his promises of coming again and we coming again. We looked at this, this great and terrible phrase about the wrath of God is coming. And really there are only three ways to deal with that. I can ignore it, but that's not going to make his wrath go away. I can downplay it, but that isn't going to keep his wrath from coming really the only wise answer is to accept the remedy. And the remedy is this one we have been singing about this evening, who gave his life for us. We could spend all week long talking about Jesus, and that would be a week very well spent. But I want to pivot from 
our Lord to our Lord's will for us. And we're gradually going to make that a little more personal as the, the week unfolds. Really, what I would love to do with you this evening is root our, our understanding and our, our focal point right here in Ephesians. I want you to do your best to take yourself 2,000 years ago, away from the north side of Columbus, on the other side of the globe, to that, that ancient city of Ephesus, I want you to do your best to imagine being an inhabitant of first century Ephesus. And you and, and people around you who mean a great deal to you have become followers of this Jesus the Christ. You are still very much looked on as kind of foreign, kind of strange to your, your, your fellow inhabitants of Ephesus, but you're doing your best to, to walk in these ways of the gospel that was shared with you. And one ordinary day, you hear that a letter, a really significant letter has arrived from Someone you've heard of, but you've you've never met him. You've heard of the Apostle Paul. And there are others in this assembly of Christians who were there when Paul was in Ephesus and and shared the gospel. But you you, you never met him yourself. And so the idea of having a a letter from him, you, you hear from various brothers and sisters in this spiritual family that this coming Lord's Day, this letter is going to be read. It's going to be read to the entire congregation. A beloved brother named Tychicus has has carried this letter from Paul and and this servant in the gospel is going to stand up and he's, he's going to read this letter in everyone's hearing. And if time allowed, we could begin in what we have as Ephesians 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus. And that's that's you, right? That's that's us. You're, You're striving to be one of these saints. In Christ Jesus, you're, you're seeking to be faithful to Him and you, you hear this greeting from the mind of the Apostle Paul, the heart of this man who spent so much time in Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, many of the things that we talked about yesterday really are described by Paul in what we have as Ephesians 1. He talks about the the glory of this God in heaven who had a plan. And this Son of God who came on our behalf and and served as a sacrifice for our sins. And you you, you hear about getting caught up in this plan and and living for this plan. And the, the, the apostle praying that you... Me and and we would grow together in wisdom and maturity and love for one another and that we would be faithful even in the midst of a really difficult situation because we belong to him. You look at the end of what we have as Ephesians chapter 1, how 
God the Father put all things under the feet of God the Son and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And again, we there's a lot we're going to have to go back and and really try and digest, but we get the sense, don't we, that He's talking about us. We're a part of the Lord's church. We're a part of the, the body of Christ. He is our head. And we, we spent some time yesterday, particularly in our Bible class period, thinking through the, the truth of this Ephesians 2 verse 1 that you were dead. I was dead in, in the trespasses and sins in, in which you once walked. But the gospel is such good news. We've responded to it and we've been saved. Time allowed, we could just walk through that letter. But I want specifically to draw your attention to what we have as Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. You see that in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, where the, the focus really pivots from who God is and what Jesus has done for us to, to us and And the way that we're being called to live. He writes in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together. And as Tychicus is reading this, your your, your mind is just blown. My mind is, is blown as we're being drawn into this glorious picture of we were dead we were separated from god we were strangers we we were aliens but now we belong we're not just servants out in the field or the the vineyard of our lord we're we're members of his household Built on a a glorious foundation that we don't completely understand yet. We've got a a lot to learn as inhabitants of Ephesus about who these apostles and prophets were and, and what they had done to prepare the way. But we know we're being built on something glorious and we know that that Jesus, our Savior and our King, it's all centered and grounded on him. He's the cornerstone and and we're all joined Together, What a, a beautiful picture that as we look around this ancient assembly at men and women and Jew and Gentile and slave and free and rich and poor, we're all joined together and we are growing. We're growing together, growing into. And if if we just hit the. Pause button there for a moment. What comes next really matters. 
I don't know if you are like me, your family is like my family. It is extremely frustratingly common for us to, you know, have the the joy and the blessing of being able to gather together with our church family on Sunday morning and and everybody was prepared for that and it's been a great couple of hours and we spend some time talking with brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, we're usually some of the last ones to leave and uh, maybe it's just the five of us who are are still there as we're walking to the car and the same question gets asked Every seven days, over and over and over again. Where are we going to eat? What's for lunch? And nobody has an opinion, at least that they're willing to put out. If somebody throws out something, somebody else is quick to say, ah, no. But, uh, you know, we, we, we really struggle with, okay, we've got time and we've got a little bit of money and we've got a vehicle and we've got gas in that vehicle and we've got a whole lot of options. Where to? And in a lot of ways, if, if we just hit this, this pause button in Ephesians 2 verse 21, I'm afraid that's the way a lot of people in modern religious culture have come to think that, well, there is a God and, and there is a Savior. There is someone who is able to save me from my sins and I'm most certainly interested in that, but... Really now, I mean, it's been 2,000 years ago, time has changed, culture has changed, sensibilities have changed, opinions and ways of making judgments have changed, interests have once have changed. And so, you know, as long as we believe in God and as long as we, we cling to Jesus and we proclaim Him, what we build, you know, it's really up to us. How much money do we have? What, what are we interested in? What do we think the, the community is going to, to, to be interested in? What sort of uh, involvement are we able to, to garner? How are we going to draw a crowd? And how are we going to keep that crowd? How are we going to entertain that crowd? What, what are we going to grow into? Really, in the minds of many, the sky's the limits, right? It's up to us. But here in... Ephesus, as these people had this letter read to them for the very first time, it surely came across loud and clear. It it wasn't up to them. What they were supposed to grow into, what they were supposed to build together, what they were being built as. But I've got to believe in a lot of ways, especially if we we put ourselves back in that first century, when they heard you are being joined together and growing into a holy temple in the Lord. That probably wasn't what they expected. You do your best to to imagine yourself being one of these first hearers and you hear the idea of a a, a temple. What goes through your mind? Well, I would suggest to you, if you lived in, in first century Ephesus, one of the very first things that would go through your mind is, well, 
Not all temples are holy because if you know anything about first century Ephesus, you you know what it was known for. One of the wonders of the ancient world, the great temple of Ephesus, the, the, the temple of Artemis. And if you're familiar at all with New Testament history, you go back to the book of Acts and when People started threatening Artemis in first century Ephesus. It didn't go all that well. I mean, the entire city could get riled up because if, if you were an Ephesian, this was your temple. This was your goddess. This is what defined what you were building as a city and who you were as a city and and how you got your identity as a, a citizen of this ancient city. But then it would hopefully, as it rattled around in your brain, realize you're being called to really stand out. In fact, as this letter continues to be read, you can turn in your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul anticipates that if you're going to be a, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, if you're going to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord in a city like Ephesus, well, you're going to be really different. And so it's no mistake that he says in Ephesians 4 verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to their Hardness of heart. It's hard for you and for me perhaps to realize how scandalous those sorts of words would have been. I mean, after all, you know, you might be from Galilee over there down in the hills in the middle of nowhere, but but this is Ephesus. We know who we are. We, we know how sophisticated we are. We know how elite in the ancient world we are. After all, look at our temple. A wonder of this world. What are you talking about? Futility of mind. Darkened understanding. Alienated from the life of God as if there's only one. Ignorance. Hardness of heart. Don't you know where you are? Don't you know where where you live? But the apostle is unashamed. Having spent a good amount of time in Ephesus. And now writing back to these saints. Talking about the people they live among. They are like individual grains of salt. In the midst of a city. In the midst of hearts that are callous. Hearts that have given themselves up to sensuality. And it wouldn't take very long at all living in Ephesus, understanding that to go up to this temple of Artemis would be a completely sensual, perverted 
immoral experience. That as you go to worship, there's just as much about gratifying your own flesh as there is about worshiping some so-called goddess. But that, that's lifestyle in Ephesus. And all too many men and women were willing to give themselves up to sensuality, greedy in their darkened heart to practice every kind of impurity. But then the apostle, even as this letter is read, reminds you and me, that's not the way you learned Christ. We're in Ephesus, but we are not of Ephesus. They may be darkened in their understanding, but, but we're shining like lights. In fact, as, as we talked about yesterday, we as a, a, a church are a lampstand in the midst of this darkness. And we're, we're holding this light up because we've heard about someone different. We've heard about him and we're, we're taught in him and we believe that the truth is in him. And we believe now that it's not just about learning him, but it's about putting off that old self which belongs to our former manner of life. And it's corrupt through all sorts of deceitful desires. And now we're renewed in the spirit of our mind. And this isn't just something that we're practicing on the weekends then living however we want to live. This is a new self that we put on. It's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so I want you to think back to where we started in Ephesians 2. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of something God is building. And this, this whole structure being joined together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And as you, you hear those words and, and begin thinking through what's this going to look like in Ephesus, it comes through loud and clear. This temple that the apostle is talking about, this is different from any other temple I've ever known. I don't think he's talking about a... A physical building anywhere. He's talking about something that is built on the foundation of people. People who, who, who lived before me. And, and he's talking about this one who I've come to believe is, is my Savior and my Lord, my, my resurrected King. And I've, I've never seen him with my physical eyes and I've never heard him with my physical ears. I've never touched him with my hands. But I believe now life needs to be oriented and built on, on him. He's the cornerstone and and we are the stones. We're not talking about building some sort of a competing physical structure in Ephesus. We're, we're talking about who we are. Living stones. If you're familiar with the message of the New Testament, you know this was a, a common calling and description for disciples of Jesus. Peter picks it up in 1 Peter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices 
acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Eventually that letter is fully read. And you, we get to hang on to it and, and study it and reflect on it and, and learn from it and shape our identities around it. But I've got to believe that it would take a long time, a lot of thought, a lot of discussion. As we thought through together, well, what's this going to look like? We know who the Lord is. We, we know He's awesome. We know that, that we need to develop a, a personal relationship to Him like branches of a vine. We, we know that He has a message. He, he has the keys of death and, and the grave and He's going to come again and, and we need to be ready and we need to encourage everybody else to be ready. But what's it going to mean to be A holy temple in the Lord. You might keep your marker there. We'll come back to Ephesians. You can open with me to the gospel of Matthew chapter 24. What was, what what is this holy temple in the Lord? Well, if it's not already explicit, let's, let's make sure loud and clear it is. We're, We're not talking about a magnificent building. We get indications of that, I think, even in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, when these descendants of Abraham and Jerusalem were so very proud of that magnificent building, the literal, physical temple there in Jerusalem. And in fact, when, when Jesus has been in and out of Jerusalem and is on his way out of Jerusalem on one occasion in Matthew 24, he's leaving the temple, he's going away when, when his disciples come to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Look at how amazing and marvelous all of this is. And Jesus just tells them. You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And in fact, that that, that came to pass about 40 years after Jesus made that statement and never, ever, ever were his disciples ever in the pages of the New Testament told, okay, well, that one was torn down, but we're going to have to figure out where and when and how to build a new one. No, we're not talking about building a magnificent building. You go with me to the Gospel of John chapter 2. We're we're not talking about a a great cultural landmark that everybody with their physical eyes, wherever it is that they live on on the earth, can, can point to a particular place, a particular building, a particular structure and say, well, that's that was our building project and it's done. And now we just gotta make sure that somebody keeps it clean and maintains it. No. In John chapter 2 and verse 20, there there were Jews that simply could not understand what the mission of this Jesus from Nazareth was. And they they became irritated at times, wondering, what are you talking about? 
John chapter 2 and verse 20. It's taken us 46 years to build this temple. And, and, and it was everything to them. As long as we've got that, that's, that's who we are. As long as we've got that, everything's going to be okay. As long as we've got that, well, you know, life around us isn't exactly the way that we, we wish it would be. But this is the, the landmark for us. No. Stay there in John chapter 2. It, it, it wasn't a magnificent building and it wasn't a cultural landmark. And it most certainly wasn't a, a place of empty ritual sacrifice. In John chapter 2 and verse 16, Jesus went into that magnificent building on one occasion and said, You need to take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of trade. Very much in the, the, the same prophetic vein as Malachi. Hundreds of years before him when Malachi said, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors of this magnificent building. But you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand. But we heard in the letter. A temple, a, a holy temple is being built. So what is it? Can you open your Bibles with me back to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 43. We don't often go back to sections of the Bible like this, perhaps nearly as often as, as some of these other passages that we've been looking at. But I want you to read and understand with me what this really was always intended to be. Your Bible open there to Ezekiel 43. You begin reading with me in verse 1 where the prophet, very much similar to what we were talking about yesterday morning, a, a spectacular vision from the Lord. Ezekiel 43 and verse 1, we jump right into the middle of it. He led me to the gate, the gate facing east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters. It sounds... Much like what we noticed yesterday morning. The, the earth shone with his glory. And the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city. And just like the vision that I had seen by the Kabar Canal. And I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east. The spirit lifted me up and brought me to the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Well, the man was standing beside me. I heard one speaking to me out of the temple. And he said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name. Neither they nor their kings by their whoring and by the dead bodies of their kings at their high places. By setting their threshold by my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost with only a wall between me and them. They have defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed. So I have consumed them in my anger 
The wrath of God rose, as we talked about last night. Now let them put away their whoring and the dead bodies of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in their midst forever. There's a lot there. Maybe that's hard to understand. So let's see if we can't make it just really, really, really simple. What was this supposed to be all along? The the, the, the temple of the Lord. Well, it was more than a... It was a magnificent building, but it was more than that. It was a great cultural landmark, but it was, it was definitely supposed to be more than that. Absolutely more than just a place of ritualistic, heartless sacrifices where we would rather be doing something else. Now you see right there. In Ezekiel 43 and verse 7. This was, in a sense, God's throne among his subjects. This was, to borrow from Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, where the the reign of God could be recognized right here. On the earth. In his temple. Now. These people at times. Struggled to understand that well. There's no way that we could possibly build something that could contain. Him. No. He, He makes clear in Isaiah 66 in verse 1. Heaven is my throne and and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And and what is the place of my rest? It was echoed by Stephen in the New Testament. Listen, you need to understand the most high does not dwell in houses made by hands. But this was. The place for centuries where he had promised to dwell. Right there in the midst of his people. And you and me in in first century Ephesus. We've just heard. That he's still building. Something that. That we're a part of. So let, let, let's take all of these threads. And bring them away from first century Ephesus. Uh, away from the ancient days of Isaiah. And, and let's make it personal right here. Right now. Among us. As individual disciples. And in the context of, of this local church family. Who you are. What's the mission? What's the goal? You aren't called by God to build a wall. A wall to keep people out. And that sure does seem awfully elementary, doesn't it? But I'm guessing you, you probably have heard, just like I have probably heard, at times, your brothers and sisters talk as if, listen, it's, it's us against them. 
it's, it's us against the world. And we need to, to build this hedge, this wall around ourselves. In fact, I, I will never forget the very first church that I, I ever worked with. I had a long talk with a, an older sister in Christ who was very clear, very forceful in telling me, listen, I, I like this church the way that it is. I like the size of this church. I like the feel of this church. I don't really like the idea of anybody coming in. I just like it the way that it is. But you see, that's, that's the mentality of, of a wall. And there are a lot of God's people throughout the ages that have had that that sort of sense. They had a literal wall around the temple. And, and you can come so far, but, but only so far. And for many of the Jews, circumcision was a kind of wall. And unless you're circumcised, you, you, you can't have a, a relationship with God. And family heritage was a kind of wall where if you're not a part of the right family. And we're foolish and short-sighted to believe that, that God's people still don't struggle with it. You know, my, my family, maybe that family over there in, in this particular congregation, we've been here longer than anybody else. And you can come, but you need to understand there's a wall here. You can only get so close. You can only rock so much. But you see, we're, we're not called to build a wall, and we're certainly not called to build some sort of a magnificent building. We can go back and, and we can read where we were yesterday in Revelation 1, if we kept reading in Revelation 2 and 3, and we, we, we talk about Jesus' communication to that church in Ephesus and Smyrna and Philadelphia and Pergamum and Thyatira and so on and so forth. Not one mention about where they were meeting, what sort of building in, in which they were meeting. That, that wasn't it. And, and it wasn't about building a cultural landmark. Certainly not about building a shrine to ourselves. We're not building a museum where we just maintain a bunch of old stuff and expect people to behave themselves while they're in the museum. And, and we're not building a, a place of empty ritual sacrifice. We heard about the, the, the dangers of that earlier. And we're not building an entertainment venue. We're talking about the throne. Do we really want to come into the, the shadow of that throne with jokes? With things that we think are going to entertain people. There was a, a church just a couple of miles down the road from us where I live. Who earlier this spring did a massive advertising campaign all over the community. Inviting the entire community to a special series and accompanying movies. The whole thing was called The Gospel According to Disney+. Plus. But you see, that's, that's not what we're called to build. We're not called to build any sort of a self-help center or even a, a spiritual gas station where godly people can come and, and get filled up and then, then, then go on their way. No, if you've turned away from Ephesians chapter 2, I want to end with you here in Ephesians 2 
and verse 22, what we heard from the very beginning, how in him, Ephesians 2.22, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. God in the midst of his people. God on the throne in the midst of his subjects. His subjects serving as a holy priesthood. We heard Peter write in 1 Peter 2. And could I challenge you in our last few minutes together this evening to really make that personal. That if if the temple of the Lord is made up of living stones, me and, and you and your brothers and sisters in Christ, the way you live, brother, the way you conduct yourself, sister, matters. The way you talk, the way you Interact with people. The attitude with which you talk. What you share and comment on and react to online, social media, and the way that you do it. The way you handle truth. It's in this letter that that the Apostle Paul calls us to speak the truth. In love, the way we handle unity, whether or not that that matters to us, is right here in Ephesians, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because this isn't about us. This this isn't our building. We're just living stones in the, the dwelling place of God among men. And what we're called to be is holy. The way I conduct myself as a husband or as a wife. The the, the picture of marriage that we present to the world. What our, our, our home life is like. How we show hospitality. How we treat strangers. How we greet and, and, and handle those who are hurting. How we are, are patient with the weak. You see, all of this is to be holy. And that transcends time and, and, and space and culture. Our very lives are to be spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to the king. In a highly consumeristic culture where so many come to assemblies or churches like this with the attitude of, what do you have to offer me? That's not what we're building. You didn't get much out of an assembly of worship? Well, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. We're offering spiritual sacrifices to a holy God. Lord willing, tomorrow evening we'll pivot into particularly on the ground level. What it means to 
proclaim the excellencies of our King. You see, you and I, even though we live a long time after when this letter was written, we're, we're not like my family on Sunday afternoon where we, we go out into the parking lot. and Okay, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? It's not up to us to gather together and say, okay, we got a church. What are we going to build? Who are we going to be? What's it going to be all about? How, how, how are, are we going to decide to worship? No, our responsibility is to recognize that once we were not a people, but now we're, we're God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have. And we are blessed to be able to say, I am his, and he is mine. It may be this evening that, that you can't say that because... As we heard from Ephesians chapter 2, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. There is such good news. Good news of this Savior who died to atone for your sins. Good news of a God who is, is willing to welcome you home. Good news that was preached on that day of Pentecost as we talked about yesterday. That as people are willing to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, turn away from the foolishness of sin and be buried with Christ in baptism for the forgiveness of their sins. They can be raised, once dead, now raised, to walk in newness of life. We want you to know that whatever it is that you carried into this building, you can walk out of this building knowing you are His and He is yours. If in any way we can help you this evening, would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and and sing together?